0: so we'll get started all right take your bibles and we are in the second chapter of philippians we've been going through this study together in philippians and the last time we met we which was a couple weeks ago uh on sunday evening uh we dealt with a passage that dealt with jesus emptying himself out of his privileges of deity going to the cross humbling himself dying upon that cross, and then the then the declaration of God, because of Jesus' obedience and all that he's done, the, the day is going to come when God will highly exalt him and give him a name above every name, and then finally it says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord, uh, to, to the glory of God the Father. Now, tonight we're going to look at verses 12 through 30, and we'll finish chapter 2, uh, a, 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 about two thirds of this passage has to d- do with uh, with Paul commending two faithful servants, and uh, part of that flow is what well, we've already learned about the call for you and I, you and I, to be humble in the Lord. And Paul seems to have a theme in all of his letters. If you haven't noticed that yet, it is it is that 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 theme of relying upon Jesus in all things, trusting God. Uh, he. Some people think he goes too far to the to the grace side and does not point enough on the works. Yet, as a matter of fact, if you read Ephesians, he uses the word, word works several times in the book of Ephesians, but I think he keeps it, I believe he keeps it in proper perspective. Uh, most people with a religious mindset believe that somehow works either make them right with God initially or keep them right with God after they come to the Lord. The Bible teaches, I think it's pretty clear that the Bible teaches that that Works cannot bring you to Christ. Our good works cannot bring you to Christ. And God does not love you according to the works that you do. And so our biblical faith after we come to Christ, the evidence of that faith is that the work of God is seen in us. Again, Paul's great writing in the book of Galatians that we're doing on, on, uh, on Tuesday morning, he reminds us there, that he warned them about people who taught them, you come to, to God by grace in and, and, and Jesus Christ, and then someone has told you that you need to be made right or, or fulfill, it, fulfill everything by the works of your flesh. He says, he says, as a matter of fact, he says, if, if you believe that, someone has cast a spell on you, someone has bewitched you, and he actually called them foolish to believe such thing. Yet, my experience in the church, and I, I've been in church since I was uh, in the bed babies, and uh, most of my experience growing up in the church has been, quite frankly, has been based upon a works or performance-based approach. When I, pro- when I performed well for God, God somehow was more happy with me than he was when I messed up. And I, and I even related that, and I'm not sure that the pastor said this directly, but it's how I received it anyway. I related the level that God loved me by my performance. So when I did well, I thought, well, God loves me today. And when I would stumble and fall, then I thought, well, somehow God God so disappointed me and he certainly cannot love me the way he did yesterday when I was doing better than I'm doing today. Now, that is, by the way, that is the most terrible approach to the Christian life that I can think of. I think it's why many Christians are up and down every, you know, throughout their whole walk. They cannot understand, it's hard for us to understand that God loves us perfectly all the time. And he doesn't love us based on our performance. He loves us based upon the fact that we belong to Him. Okay. Now, think about this in relationship to your own family. If you have, a, if you have a what I would call at least a semi-healthy family, uh, can 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 you be disappointed with your family members? Well, of course you can. Okay. Do you do you cease to love your kids because you're disappointed in them? I would say part of that disappointment in them may be because you do love them because if you didn't love them you would have no it wouldn't make any difference to you. So we need to learn to 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 understand that, that Paul reminds us that that the love of God that's given to us is a perfect love. And it's not based on our performance. Nor does God call us to perform for him. He's called us to trust him, to submit to him, and then we will begin to see the holy spirit do through us what we couldn't do anyway. And if we, if we keep teaching our kids and, and generations that it's performance based, faith, then Christ, the Christianity will be nothing but a frustration because we can't do it. As much as we even want to do it, we can't do it. We're unable to do that. So that would be a part of this uh, matter, of, uh, of, for our part, of humility to say, you know what, God, I can't do it. Jesus, I bow my knee to you. I declare you Lord of my life, and, and, and I submit to your Holy Spirit because I can't do this. Okay? Religion builds pride. Relationship with God brings brokenness, first of all. But then that lifts us up in Christ Jesus. Two different things altogether. together. Uh, i remind you that pride is the original sin. And before any man was ever walked on this earth, we had the fall of Satan in heaven, uh, and it was a matter of pride. I will be like the Most High. I will be worshiped. I want all the things that belong to Him. So God brings us to that place of brokenness or humility this way. And it, and, it, and it calls us to, to 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 see that we are required. We are required to to submit and surrender to Him because the only way we'll ever be able to walk as Christians is when the Holy Spirit is is the one who leads us and guides us in that walk. But those things in mind, let's read the passage tonight. So several verses here. So just hang with me. Just follow along. It says, therefore, now therefore means because of what I just taught you. Well, what he just teaches? Well, he taught us. He called us to humility. then he said, like the humility of Christ, which is. Which blew my mind, how can I have the humility of Christ? But like the humility of Christ, and that can only happen when the Holy Spirit works in you, right? Okay. So he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and do his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the, in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Verse nineteen I said, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at one, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. By the way, he never did. That last part, that he never did. Verse 25 now. Yet I considered it ne- necessary to send to you, send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, But your messenger, uh, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrowed upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in in esteem. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what is lacking in your service toward me. So Paul, uh, after he again gives that great teaching on the call to be humble, true humility, uh, and, and, and gives us the greatest example of humility, that is Christ Jesus. And then he talks about Jesus being exalted to that place in that last day. Now he calls us, and he, he, when he says, Therefore, my beloved, that is, therefore, for those who are of the faith. Remember, Philippians is to the church at Philippi. It's not written, written to lost people, it's written to believers. He restates that here by saying, therefore, because all these things are true, what you've been called to and what Christ has shown you and what you've been, what what God has for you, he said, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not, so, not only in my presence, but even when I'm away. Which Paul was making a statement that their obedience was primarily to who? Their obedience was primarily to the Lord. Not just to the apostle of the Lord. Uh, Paul it's interesting. People have different views of Paul. Some people thought, think he's the most conceited guy that walked on the face. Or I've heard people say, you know, like when he says, uh, "Do what I do, follow my example," and they say, "Oh, see, he just filled up with himself." But it's really, "Do what I do as I follow Christ." But remember, it's Paul who said, you know, in, to the church of Corinth, you know, some of you say I'm of Paul, and some of you say I'm of Apollos, and some say Cephas, and some say Jesus. And he goes on to say after he said, listen, is Christ divided? Paul was the first one, I think, that we have recorded in scripture that that put down the personality-driven church. Okay? That God had not called people to follow a human personality. That doesn't mean he doesn't give teachers and leaders in the body of Christ, but but we're to follow Christ. Because what happens with that... Person that, that personality uh, goes off in the wrong direction. Well, if if, you, if your primary uh, idea is to follow them wherever, and there are people been like that. They I've seen people follow pastors who've fallen into to heresy and and, and bad teaching and, and immorality, and they follow them wherever because they're their teacher we are got to be very careful of that. And Paul even talks about this. But, and notice what he says here. He is pleased with them that they continue to follow God even when Paul's not there. They continue to do what's right even when the apostle's not there to check on them or to keep an eye on them. Now, look what he says as, as he goes. He, he goes on in the last part of verse 12. He says, but now much more in my absence. And he goes on to say, work out your own salvation. In fear and trembling. And some of it. See, Pastor, you just said it's not works, and Paul says it is works. That's that, that becomes a problem if you just grab a portion of Scripture and just grab it. What does it mean to work out your salvation in fear and trembling? Well, he goes on to, to, to say, verse, verse 13 is the one that explains. He says, For it is God who works in you. I have that one underlined in my Bible here. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. What is the work that he's called us to when he says, Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling? It is the work of God in you. Who is the one that's perfecting you? It's God in you. Who brought you to salvation? It is God the Holy Spirit who brought you to salvation, who showed you where you were spiritually. Who revealed to you who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done and he brought you to faith. Now you had to respond to that, but you couldn't get there unless he brought you there. So once he brought you there and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your savior. Okay, got it now. I can just live the, the best life I can. No, you can't. Because the work of God in our salvation does not stop at the point of justification. It continues on. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit will continually work in your life from that point, and we're talking about the sanctification part, from that point where you you respond to Him and trust Jesus Christ all the way until the point that you draw your last breath. And I've yet to meet the person that has become, quote, fully sanctified in their action. Now, we are fully sanctified by by the work of God in us. But how many of you can say, that your actions always reflect what Christ has done in you. Am I perfect yet? Yeah. I've only met, in my, all my life, in all my ministry, I've only met one man that ever told me that he was sinlessly perfect. Wow. We were on the golf course. I saw his shot. I knew he wasn't sinlessly perfect. <laughs> okay? I thought, so, you know, this guy would be hitting holes one every time if he's really perfect. But unfortunately, he had to go that route. And, and, and I just, just so you know this, he taught in his church that you lose your salvation because of certain sins. I, and I asked him, I said, what sins are those? I'd like to know what they are. Please give me a list, because I want to stay as far away from those sins as I can. And I said, you know, this wonderful book is about salvation, and if there's a possibility of losing your salvation by, by committing a sin, I'm sure God would put that somewhere here. So would you show me? He said, he said, well, it's not in there directly, but... But God knows. And I said, well, aren't you afraid? If there's no list, aren't you afraid that you might stumble upon either in thought or in word or in action? Aren't you afraid that you might cross that line and, and commit that sin? He so there's no list that you can stay far away from. He said, he said, I don't worry about that because I don't sin any longer. <laughs> yes. You know, my, that, that kind of entered the conversation because I wanted to go to John and said, you know, God says you're a liar. But I didn't, I didn't say that. He was an older pastor. I was a younger pastor in my first church and stuff, but but I I thought, my goodness. This guy had convinced himself and many in his church that they had attained to the place of perfect sanctification in their walk. Because he didn't believe in a distinction between our position in Christ and our walk in Christ. He believed they were both identical. Okay? So, but we need to understand that we are justified, we are made right with God instantaneously. But then from that point, that's our position it doesn't change. But from that point on, the Holy Spirit will work in our life to bring our walk in line with with our profession. Now, it would be wonderful if that line of following God, like started right down here, salvation, and it was a direct shot right up to heaven. It would be wonderful if that's what it looked like. Mine doesn't look like that. Mine looks like they need to come in with those paddles and pop it every once in a while because it's going this all over the place. You know what I'm talking about? How about yours? Yours looks like that. And sometimes it seems like it gets stuck down here. And and so we need to understand that. And and isn't it wonderful that the Holy Spirit has continued to work? He continues to have patience. He continues to show himself mighty. So when, when he says work out your own salvation, he's talking about that. I am saved. How do I work out my salvation? I submit to the Holy Spirit every day so so that I am not quenching the Spirit, I'm not grieving the Spirit, I'm not being disobedient to the Spirit, so the Spirit can do in my life what He wants to do. Now, some people say, don't you believe the Holy Spirit is more powerful than your own will? Of course I do. God can do anything He wants. God can take my will completely away. He can take our ability to make choices completely away. But that's not His plan. And I've had people tell me, I wish God would do that with me. And there have been days i thought please take this away lord but for some reason bless you he really wants us to have that intimate genuine relationship with him There, there has to be a response and that response is certainly initial when we come to salvation but it's also every day think about it he wants us to be real with him every day he doesn't want us to be robots toward him every day and so every day we wake up with the ability to, to respond positively or negatively to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. And what Paul is encouraging the church, you are saved, you are justified, but now continue to work out that, your salvation. Continue to, to walk in the Holy Spirit so he can continue the work of sanctification in, in you until that day that he's going to take you home. Okay? And once we get to go home, that, that, is, that is the fullness of our salvation. We call that glorification. Think about that. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more temptation. That's going to be pretty cool, I think. Hallelujah. Yeah. So, but until we get there, um, he's told us to continue to work this out. But remember, it is God who works, who works and to will to do his, his work in us. So, what's our work? It's really simple submission. The concept's simple, the application is simple. So hard. Especially because if many of us who are raised in religious homes and stuff, it's in the back even if we we think we've got this, it's in the back somewhere I still gotta perform. It's in the back, I still gotta help God. Instead of just saying, Lord, I surrender I, I think we'd be amazed what would happen if the church would surrender to the Holy Spirit. I think we, I believe we begin to see things like we read up in the Book of Acts. I believe that. I believe that the only thing that restrains that from happening today is us, and I don't know that we really know how to submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit that way. I always say those poor ignorant young Christians—they didn't know anything better than to trust the Holy Spirit. Too bad they're not sophisticated like us. We've grown, we're smarter, we're, we know how to do this. And, and God, watch us, we'll do it for you. And we don't like to say it that way, but I think we do it so often. I, I think we breed this into our kids. Think about this. I've said this before. So, and it's one i got to watch a lot, too. Especially when my kids are growing up and they are both in sports and stuff. And people kind of, hey, how's Drew doing? Oh, wait, let me tell you how he's doing. scored all these money on How's your kid doing? Well, now they're adults, so my son's got a great job, and he's doing this, and he's being successful and stuff like that. How's your kids doing? Almost every time we respond to how our kids are doing, we deal with performance. You see the message we get across? We deal with performance. Very rarely do we ever speak about our kids' hearts. Very rarely do we ever talk about where our kids are with the Lord. And that, that message is not missed on our kids. I think as, a, as parents, we're first of all called to nurture our kid's heart. And we need to teach them what it means to be, to be loved unconditionally, to, to be cared for regardless of their performance in that sense. It, it, it's something that it's hard for me because we Western Christians have to do with success, success, success. How many read my writings today it's on success? Let me skip right over there. Not another one. You going to know this thing. <laughs> well, how do, we, how do we teach success in the church? Think about this. How do we teach success in the church? Don't we always go buy the books of the guys who have a ministry that's several thousand strong or tens of thousands strong? Well, of course they're successful. Are they? They may be. I'm not saying they're not. But how do we know they're successful? Well, because they've got a big building. They've got a lot of people following. Really? So that... so. Who is determining what is successful in the body of Christ then? Isn't that the way the world does it? You say, well, Pastor, you're saying they're not successful. I'm not saying they're not successful. All I'm asking you and, and me to do is to start evaluating success by the way the Scripture says it. I, I, you know, you, you've all heard of the, of, the, of the missionary by the last name of Kerry, right? Was he a success or a failure? Seven years, not one person responded to him and his call to salvation. Must have been the worst evangelist that the world's ever known. Must have been this this horrible failure. God must have been so disappointed in him. He sent him over there to a foreign country and this guy failed for seven years. Well, there's other guys that were building big ministries and stuff like that. Who's a success? We need, again, (coughs) success is not determined by the outcome Because the outcome is determined by God, if it's eternal. But success on our part is is determined by our willingness to obey God. What if he puts you someplace where nobody will ever respond? Ever heard of Jeremiah? I'm not talking about David Jeremiah right now. I'm talking about Jeremiah in the Bible. Okay? Certainly a failure. By the way, what about Jesus? Jesus. What a horrible failure he must have been. I mean, by the t- end of his ministry, where, which started out with a lot of people wanting to follow him and stuff like that, by the end, by the time he gets to the end, of, there's only 11 guys left, and when, it all, when, the, when the rubber met the road, there was only one standing there. And I think he was hiding behind his mama's skirts. I, I, mean, I don't know. But what a, and he dies. What a horrible failure he must have been. From every earthly, think about this, from every earthly uh, way to judge success, Jesus failed. It is God who works. It's not we who work for God. It is God who works. And I genuinely believe the Holy Spirit is looking for willing vessels to say, Hey God, we're here. We're ready for you to do whatever you want to do through us. All right, so Paul's going to give us some ideas of what that's going to look like. When, you know, when the how do you say? Well, okay, how do we? Are there some? Are there some ways we can kind of look at and see is this really of God or is this of human endeavor? Because we're good at fooling each other, right? I say we we put on our Sunday go go to meeting persona like we put on our Sunday go to meeting clothes. We know how to dress up, you know, and I you know. There's some Sundays I know you've come here. I've come here on some Sundays, and, and I thought I just don't even want to be here, you know. So you want me to say what to these people, you know? And I love you guys. Just think if I didn't like you. <laughs> so, so, but, so you think about you think about that, and, and and there are some things that Paul says. These things ought to be a part of who you are. If it is the Holy Spirit, if it is God who's working this out in your life. First thing he says: Look at verse 14 there. He said, first indicator will be that we will be people who do all things without complaining and disputing. Well, We've already failed. Listen, there is no such as thing as a spiritual gift of complaining. And there is no such thing as being, you know, a spiritual gift of causing disputes. It just, they, they just don't exist. I remind you that one of the things that God says he hates is someone who sows discord among the brethren. Okay, and, and, and what he means there is the one who intentionally stows trouble among the body of Christ. Okay, what is God about? Well, God is about reconciliation. God is about peace. That does not mean, that, and again, these are there are always qualifiers. That doesn't mean we have peace at any cost. There are some things that are worth separating over. The Bible makes those things very clear. But in the body of Christ, where everybody's supposed to love Jesus. and and, and desire to serve Jesus and stuff, we ought to do whatever we do without complaining and without causing a dispute. I like to put it this way. If we are family, if we are a biblical family as a church, then we as a family can deal with just about any issue we need to deal with and come out on the other side as family. If we're not family, then the littlest of issues can cause us to separate and go our own ways, okay? It's not about agreeing on everything all the time. It's not even about seeing everything the same way all the time. But it is about how we approach one another as we learn to grow together. And that's the truth, we are growing together. Everybody in this church is on the same same path. And together, we are co, (laughs) it's wonderful. We are co-ministered together on the same path together. We may have different roles and different calling and stuff like that, but we're all, the same, we're all on the same path. So he calls us. One of the indicators is that when the Holy Spirit is leading, we will do things without being a complainer and without someone who causes dispute in the body of Christ. Verse 15, he goes on. Here's another indicator. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse world. Wow, I, I, I look at this when I think about when, one of the indicators that we are, that we are the, the church that we need to be and that the Holy Spirit's in control and God is working out that work in us is this matter of integrity, that we are, we are holy, we are upright, we, we walk uh, as God has called us to walk in the midst of a perverse generation. Because, because without, again, I would say this, without the Holy Spirit, we could easily get caught up in what the world's doing. And he tells us here that that we are called, called, first of all, to walk blameless. You are righteous in Christ. Now when the Holy Spirit is in control of your life, he will will lead you to walk in righteousness also. okay. He goes on to say that we ought to be be harmless in that sense. And, And that word harmless means there, it actually means innocent. Maybe some of your translations even say that. So blameless and innocent—it's almost like blameless and and, and 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 without guilt in you, guilt that causes someone else to stumble. Actions that are contrary to who you've been made in Christ Jesus. Again, the Holy Spirit does these things in us. And the excuse we can never use, because Paul even deals with it here, is, and he says to these people, he said. The evidence that God is at work in you and the Holy Spirit's at work in you is that you do walk this way in the midst of a per- perverse generation. He's not giving it, you can't give an excuse, well, God, you don't know what our generation's like. You don't know how bad it is out there. You don't know how, how awful it is out there. And the only way that we can get ahead and we can, we can get our way and get what we want and stuff is to start acting like the rest of the world acts. Once again, first part of chapter two, we're to be like who? Like Jesus. All authority, all power. He could, have over, he could have overthrown the whole thing. With one word, he could have overthrown the whole thing. Yet what did he do? No, he submitted himself to the place of even death upon the cross. It's a hard thing for us to do. Because part of our American existence is we have our rights. It's hard, it's hard for us to carry that over into church where we need to understand we've been bought with a price. Okay, We want to carry our rights over into the church. You know, and, and even some of the times our approach in church polity is this matter of one person, one vote type of thing instead of the body of Christ coming together and finding out what God wants. And then moving on that as we trust God for that. So he, he reminds us here that, that, that we've been called to walk innocent and we've been called to walk blameless in this generation. Because God has made us what? And Jesus said to the church, you are lights that shine in this generation. You are to be lights that shine. Light always does something. Light always forces out the darkness. When you light a mat, it doesn't matter how dark it is, when you you light a light in a dark room, that darkness is pushed back. And that's what what he says that we are to be uh, as, as the body of Christ. The evidence that, again, that the Holy Spirit is at work in us And he's working out our salvation and working through it is that we will be distinctly different from that lost world out there we will be distinctly different from that dark world out there we will not be of the perverse generation that we find ourselves in now one of the things that really concerned me about the church is that it seems like the church actually is becoming more like the world than the world becoming like the church and that trend has been going on Probably the whole time I've been in the ministry, I can't speak before that. I'm sure it was, but it seems like it's accelerated today. The church accepts things today that are so contrary to a holy God it ought to make our heads spin. And when you make statements like that, or when you identify those things, which are clearly—I mean, we're not talking about disputable things. When you when you you got things going on in the church, not just going on in the church approved in the church, not just approved in the church, but actually celebrated in the church that are clearly contrary to the word of God. It, it, you know, it's not going to be long. Well, we already we have churches even in this community that celebrate every kind of perversion that the world knows. It blows my mind. And then when you say something about that, you now are the closed-minded, narrow-minded, hateful, bigoted, Person, because you won't accept. And I remind you, we live in a day in a time where the word tolerance doesn't mean what it meant when we were going to school. Okay, tolerance today means you must not only accept, you must celebrate, and you must agree with what people are doing. Because if you say, you know what, you're free to live any way you want. For us, that was tolerance. You live the way you want. You want to destroy your life. You want to do this? that's your choice. That's tolerance. But you say that now just by saying you want to destroy your life. Now you become intolerant. You become hateful. You become a bigot. You shine the light in a dark world, you're going to be called hateful. Just know that. Okay? And it, 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 it ought to be very bothersome to us. You know, when I, when I think about it, I don't know how, how long God is going to let me be pastor of church, but, but i tell you what, it would not take me... 15 seconds if a church decided to go contrary to what God says for me to, to, to move on from that church. And, and, I, and I fear that that's what's going to happen. And the Bible says over and over again this is going, this is going to happen. Don't be ashamed of the truth, guys. I know you guys aren't. I'm just trying to encourage you. Don't be ashamed of the truth. Don't be worried what they're going to say about you. Just know they're going to say it about you. You keep sharing the love of Christ. You keep sharing the truth of God. And you stand upon that truth. You don't have to defend it. You don't have to win out an argument with them. All we've been called to do is declare it. So he calls us here again that we are to be blameless. We're to be innocent children of God in this perverse generation. Now, again, if we're not innocent and if we're not blameless, we're certainly not going to be the light. And we certainly, and by the way, we will lose our voice in the generation when we become like the world. We, they think once we go, once we become like them, everybody's going to be happy. No, the sin is never happy. Ungodliness is never happy. You know, I, I, I just share with you a little bit of my, my testimony. When I went in the army, I knew that I was going to go to the army, get the GI bill, so I could go to school and do the ministry. I knew it before I before I went. I had already surrendered the ministry and stuff. So when I got into the army. I can, of course, not perfectly, but I continued loving the Lord, sharing the Lord, walking the Lord. It was, it was who I was. I can't tell you as an MP and and all the things that happened there and stuff. How many times people laughed and how many people, you know, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And and uh, I, my good friend, he's in, the, I praise in heaven now. At that time, so I'm going to hell in a handbasket. I don't care. I kept, but I kept telling him about Jesus and stuff. Uh, so. Bless you. Boy, we're going to get all the blessings in tonight. So, uh, here we are almost 40, 40 years. Gosh, I'm old. 40 years later, 40 years later, and every guy and now two female MPs that I met, everyone I'm, are followers of Christ today. I, it's, it blesses my heart. I don't, I don't know all their testimony. I don't know how it comes. I know four of them that that I led to the Lord, but there, there are others and stuff and families and stuff. We lose, and that's all the grace of God. Because I was too young to know any better than just tell them about Jesus. We lose our voice when we compromise. And when we turn off that light that's within us and we quench the Spirit, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit of God, we lose our ability to even speak in this generation. All right, let's let's move on. The the third thing he shows, look at verse 16, he says, Holding fast the word of life, so that I might rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He calls us one of the evidences of of those who are being led and working out their salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit is they hold fast. They hang on. Another word we use for that is persevere. That 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 we remain in, in, in in the walk. Now I always say be very careful of someone you know that walk with the Lord for a while but are not walking with the Lord. Don't, don't jump to the conclusion that they're not saved. Okay, that's not our place. But you can look at it and say, you know what? It breaks my heart that this who is my professing brother or sister in Christ no lo- is no longer walking with Jesus. Okay. One, one of the great evidences that that, that that the Holy Spirit is continuing to work in our life in that area of sanctification is that he holds us in there, he keeps us there. We hold fast to what we know. We don't follow him for a season and then we're gone. I am so grateful and, and, and it bothers me again, I just say, you get my pet peeves on Sunday night, so. <laughs> it bothers me sometimes the younger generation that looks at those who, who, who walk the walk, who have stayed the test of time, who have poured their lives into the body of Christ and who have sacrificed so much so that, so that this church and every other Bible believing church can be there. And they're, they're treated as as almost with disdain by a lot of the young people. A bunch of old people. Listen, you know, I, and I've told a couple of this before. If it wasn't for those old people, this place wouldn't be here for you to be here. That's right. Because they've stayed, they've stayed, they've stayed the, the the time. And not only that, they're still staying the time. You know, there is, and the Bible again tells the time will come when you'll have this. Big disconnect between the generations this way, where there be actually disdain between the generations. Stuff, but it is evidence. Paul says here that the Holy Spirit is working in us. When you look at someone who has longevity, who's walked the walk through all the ups and downs, and we—I mean—you can start listing some of the things that 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 would drive people away. But people would say, you know what? I'm here because God has called me here, and I'm going to be here as long as God has me here. And he talks about that evidence here, very quickly. Let's move on. The last one, look at in, in verse seventeen, eighteen. He says, "Yes, I am being poured out as a drink offering and sacrifice in the service of your faith." It's not that doesn't sound very positive. But look at what he says. Yes, and he said uh, right after he says, "He says I am glad and rejoice with you all." Oh my goodness! One of the evidence is, is that joy that surpasses all human understanding. The be and it's not a goofy grin on our face, and it's not, it's not you know, a, a, a giddiness. It really is a joy that God gives us within that really does, it's beyond human understanding. Some of you have experienced some, some great heartbreak. And you've had great questions for God. God, why did this happen? How come it had to happen this way? And, 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 and sometimes those questions you get a little bit of relief from, sometimes you just have to say, you know, I'm not gonna know what those things are. But beyond that, God gives you the assurance of his presence. And that assurance of his presence brings joy even in the midst, even in the midst of turmoil and suffering. See, Paul says, I'm being poured out as of this offering. And he's about to die after he finished, not too long after he finishes this letter. He knows what's going to, what he has to face and stuff. And yet, what does he say? He says, I rejoice in this. Incredible. That's where he says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. To have such, a, such an approach to, to his existence. So if I live, praise be to Christ. He's got work for me to do. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to follow him. If I die, I get to be in his presence. You can't beat that. So he reminds us here of this, of this, uh, of this joy that comes from God that is beyond even the circumstances. Now I want you to get back to this thing. Paul says, it is God, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. What's it look like? Well, Paul just told us four things that it looks like here. Now I want you to look at your own walk. We're not talking about salvation and the initiation of salvation. We're talking about our everyday walk as those who are saved. Does this look like you? Is this what you look like? Or may I put it this way, do you see the Holy Spirit working these things out in your life? Hopefully. And now you may have a struggle in one of these areas or another, but you know what? God knows that too. And, and it's always good to be honest with God because He knows. And we can lie to each other. No, we can't lie to each other. I'm sorry to take that off the recorder. We can't lie to each other. We can try to fool each other. but. And we may get away with it for a period of time, but not with God. God wants us to be honest. So if there's an area here that I, that I read and say, Lord, I have struggled, I struggle with that area, acknowledge that. And he will continue to work that in you. Now, before we close out tonight, we've only got a few minutes. The last, from 19 to verse 30, he talks about two men. And it's very important to Paul, as he speaks about the church at Philippi, that they have godly leadership. It bothers me to think about hundreds of people being walking in darkness who are in churches. And I'll just be honest with you, it angers me to think that there's one or two individuals that are leading him in that path of darkness. I have, I, and I, I think the Bible allows me to, have, to say this, I have little compassion on, on intentional false teachers. They need to be exposed for what they are, they need to be identified, and they need to be shunned. There are many people following false teachers again who are just following that personality and they don't know the truth. To me, many of those people need to be pitied and prayed for and loved and encouraged. That's a whole different matter from a false prophet or a false teacher. It was Paul's heart, the apostle here, that the church at Philippi have someone that could be trusted. We're dealing with people's eternal souls here. Think about that. We're not just dealing with people. We're dealing with people's eternal souls. And notice what he says there in verses 19 through 24 when he talks about Timothy. He actually says this. He said, I know of no one in Philippi that I can trust you with. That's what he says there. Uh, I I don't know of anybody. So you see the heart of the apostle say, I'm really concerned. That, that like so many other churches, that, that once I'm gone or once a good teacher's gone, then these other wolves are going to come in. And Paul even warned about the wolves that will come in. And they will, they will not spare the sheep. Jesus warned about that. And so Paul says, you know what? I have to tell you guys, I'm concerned for your spiritual health. I'm concerned for your spiritual growth, your spiritual walk. I'm concerned because I want you to have someone that is trustworthy. And I can't find someone in Philippi like that. So I'm going to send Timothy to you. So receive Timothy. He's like my own son. And I trust him. It's a huge thing. Think about it. It's a huge thing to say. To say, I trust this person with the souls of other people. It's a huge thing. And those who lead or teach, whether it be the pastor or Other teachers or ministry leaders in the church need to realize that God has entrusted us with precious souls. And there are families in the church that entrust us with the precious souls of people that they love. Or every time they bring a friend to church with them because they want them to hear something, they're entrusting that soul that they're going to hear something or they're going to hear what is true and what is right. It's not a small thing. An apostle says this here about 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 Timothy and his concern. You'll see that in verse twenty-one, he says, For all seek their own, and, and not the things that are of Christ Jesus. I am so fearful that, that this has become the, the, the mode of operation in, in our evangelical churches today. It it, it bothers them that it becomes so much about the person and seeking their own and getting a following and getting getting all these things rather than understanding that every person, no matter what position they have in the church, is called to be a humble servant of Christ and a servant to the body of Christ and to nurture the precious souls that God has put there. Paul says that. You know, I I tell churches, it's not a small thing to call someone to be your pastor. It's not a small thing. And unfortunately, again, I mean, much of the criteria that churches use used to determine who's going to be their pastor has very little to do with a man's spiritual walk as much as it has to do with where they've been, what they've done, how many degrees they have, all these kind of things. Very rarely have I ever been asked in churches, to tell you the honest, about, my, about my own personal walk. The committee that was here, they were kind of nosy. <laughs> They want to know. Did I have private time? Did I have prayer time? How do I approach the word? All these kind of things. They were so noted they spent, I don't know how long they spent. It seemed like a month and a half at our former church, coming into every service that we had, including prayer services. I remember Howard Smith sitting right next to me in a prayer service. I said, I really need to get over your house and talk to you about joining the church. He said, well, I don't know where, you know. They were there, checking out everything. To them, it was not a small thing who would be the next pastor of this church, and it shouldn't ever be a small thing. And it's not a popularity contest. I said the same thing to this church, that I said to every church that has considered me as a pastor, you pray, if it is not God's leadership for me to be your pastor, and you vote no, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. It is a huge thing. And I've served under two pastors that treated people's souls like they were meaningless. They were in it for their own. And they destroyed families and lives. And some people are not following Christ today because of what these guys have done. It's not a small thing. Paul says, I trust Timothy. Everybody else I see there is for their own. They're just there, they're going to take the leadership range and they're going to do what they can do so so it's for themselves. So he he calls them to, to look for leadership, to follow leadership that has that are that's following Christ. And if you don't see that in leadership, they shouldn't be in leadership. If they're not in the church, if leadership is not following Christ, they shouldn't be in the leadership. Then he goes on to talk about a man by the name of Epaphroditus. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, this man, but Paul was blessed by this guy. And clearly Paul loved Epaphroditus. And we don't know what caused him to get the place to places. But Paul actually said, whatever was ailing him, whatever happened to him, it was because of his because of his following the Lord. So he was a man who actually laid it on the line. He was willing to lay down his life for the cause of Christ. And Paul says, "This is another kind of guy I'm going to send to you. This is a guy who is willing to give up his life for the cause of Jesus Christ." Now you can't do better than that. It's not about him. It's not about his comfort. It's not about his safety. It's not about riches. It's not about any of the say. It's about he wants to serve Jesus, even if it even if it cost him his very life. That's the kind of man that Paul would recommend to the church. It's the kind of life and the walk that God's called us to also. Jesus talked about being a disciple. He makes it very simple. If you're going to be a disciple, you need to deny yourself. That's everything. That's a hard thing. Deny yourself said, then you need to take up the cross. I remind people that's not your cross, that's his cross. Your spouse is not your cross to bear. Everybody got that? Well, yeah, Pastor, you don't know my sp- Yeah, I know your spouse. Anyway. <laughs> but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the cross. You can't be ashamed of the gospel or the cross of Jesus Christ. And then the third thing he says, you need to be willing to follow Jesus. Which means he's the leader. And wherever he leads. We need to be willing to go. That's a Timothy. That's an Epaphroditus. That's a Paul. That's supposed to be in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise and thank you for your call. And thank you, Lord, that that you have not ever called us to do this on our own. Teach us how to respond. Teach us how how to submit. Teach us how to surrender. Lord, knowing that you're the only one that can can do your perfect work through us, you've not called us to perfect ourselves, but to submit ourselves that you might perfect us to be the people you want us to be. Lord, I thank you for for the godly leaders you put in my life, those men who loved you and ladies who've loved you, and who taught me from the very early age, and who lived that. And I'm so grateful for them. Lord, I pray for your church. I pray uh, that your church will be awake and alert, and your church would have a your heart and listen to your voice and find for itself leaders that reflect what you speak of in your word so that the body might be the light that you call it to be in this world. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your promise of your Holy Spirit. Teach us each day how to walk in him, and how to live in him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>